0: Audio conversation with Jonathan Talat Phillips, recorded Tuesday, August 21st, 2012. Now, this young man is an author, and he just published a book titled The Electric Jesus, with the subtitle The Healing Journey of a Contemporary Gnostic. The byline on the book says Jonathan Talat Phillips, and he has been recently going by just his middle name, Talat, which... If my understanding is correct, is a Sufi name that means sunrise. Now, I have not read the book in its entirety. I've read some excerpts from it, but I have followed him closely on uh, the podcast scene, which is an interesting way to dig into someone's uh, viewpoints. Uh, so, early on, I I, I think my first uh, listening. To one of his audio interviews was on a podcast series known as The Occult of Personality, and I was quite impressed. He seemingly quite grudgingly uh, talked about some of the alien influences in his life, and I thought it was very interesting. He is on a very uh, mystical journey, his life path. Uh, I understand, I recognize those are very uh, New Age terms, but they got completely appropriate here he's on a very mystical journey on his life path and he cautiously and and i'll say bravely adds the uh the alien influence to all of this now that really uh, got my attention and it was for that reason that i wanted to have him on as a guest on the show um i connected to him through his website and uh we uh, rather quickly uh set up this interview so i have not had a chance to read his book and i apologize for that uh, it's a little bit lame of me to play radio hosts like this and then uh, just blow that very important part off but you know there was some momentum going so so i figured i would just roll with it uh we cover quite a bit in this interview um it, this young guy is 37 years old, and uh, as I record this, it is my 50th birthday, so 37 feels pretty young to me at this point. So I give him a lot of credit that he's accomplished as much as he has in in those few short years. He was one of the founding members of Reality Sandwich, which is a website uh, mostly attributed to... Daniel Pinchbeck, another author uh, who's following a a similar path. And he's also involved in the uh, sister site to Reality Sandwich, which is called Evolver.net. That's more of an interactive site. This is his first book. He's working on a second book. He is also a Reiki master. And and his journey to get to this place right now uh, has involved um, a lot of psychedelics, which is something I have not uh, covered much on this podcast series. Now, uh, I suspect there are folks who will be listening to this who will uh, think that this show is a bit of a divergence from the type of interviews I usually do. Uh, I just feel it's really important to cover these other bases because uh, his story, though it may not uh, directly imply, let's say, UFO abduction, it certainly touches on many of the same themes, and I find that fascinating. Uh, presently, in my own journey, I'll use that term again, there, there is an interwoven aspect to the UFO phenomena and the shamanic initiation, uh, I know that Dr. John Mack wrote a book uh, probably over a decade ago called Passport to the Cosmos, wh- where he goes down the same avenue of inquiry. Um, it's interesting because this is happening a little bit organically in my line of inquiry, where I'm just bumping into people and, and finding these people that are, are uh, dovetailing nicely to, to this line of inquiry. I've included a handful of links on the show notes so you can uh, connect with his book as well as a way to listen to a few other uh, podcasts. And in the, in the ones that I have noted, which are two that I thought were quite good, both of them for a podcast series called The Occult of Personality, I would advocate, uh, if you found this at all interesting, to follow up and listen to those two audio interviews. They're, they are quite good. And and this interview here runs about an hour and twenty minutes. And uh you know, it's funny. That seems like a long time and I and I have to say I just feel like I'm getting warmed up in the conversational mode at about that point. So um at some point I would like to have Talat back and continue this dialogue because I thought a lot of it was very interesting and it was very beneficial for me to hear his perspective on uh, what I would consider very similar avenues of inquiry to my own. And there was one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, and and I had it written down in my notes, and I was close to bringing it up, but I never did, is I met Daniel Pinchbeck in November of 2007 at a UFO conference in uh, Arizona. Now, I, I won't go into the details here. It won't really serve a purpose. Uh, but I will say that uh, there was a very funny thing that happened and, uh, and I told it to Mac Tonys shortly after that event, uh, and, and uh, uh, we both concluded that it was very funny. Uh, maybe someday I'll share this. It's a little bit embarrassing for all involved, but uh, I'll just leave it at that. So, uh, back to the interview with Jonathan Talat Phillips. It runs about an hour and 20 minutes. I was very impressed with the topics we covered. Please enjoy. <laughs> Hey, Talat, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Oh,
1: I'm glad to be here. I, I love talking in my book. Uh, the fav- My favorite topic is the alien galactic material. So this, this will be a fun chance to talk about the stuff I can't talk about in a lot of, uh, a lot of maybe more mainstream uh, places.
0: Well, now, so you have written a book called The Electric Jesus. In that book, it's my understanding that it was almost an afterthought to put the content in that 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 where you hint at or talk about the alien influences in this overall you know phenomena.
1: So so Mike, how did you find that out? By the way,
0: because I've been listening to your uh, to your audio podcasts and and it's something you do mention on and off in other in other podcasts and interviews that I've been listening to.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I had totally kept it out of all the previous straps. It was picked up and kind of ready to go. And Daniel Pinchbeck, uh, author of 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, he is the edit- one of the editors of the book. Um, and he pulled me aside and said, look to live. This, in typical Daniel fashion, it's like, this is unpublishable in its current form. I was like, oh, God, I've just worked six years on this book, and you're telling me this is it's about to go to print, really? And he's like, you're just not being honest enough. You have to be honest about your shadow side, your messy relationships. And for me, being honest meant to admit the most horrifying thing of all, which was I would have to come out of the galactic closet and admit that all these spiritual awakening experiences I've had, every single one in my book, for the most part, seem to have some type of galactic intelligence behind it.
0: And when you say galactic intelligence, um, I mean, what are you? I mean, I'm picturing like some scene out of Star Trek where somebody in a in an orange robe is well, whatever that that orange robe has a lot of in, in implications. But somebody in a in a you know in a Hollywood science fiction robe is sitting behind a you know like a a table as an emissary.
1: That's a real clunky old school way. I, I really am waiting for more sci-fi movies to cover the alien phenomenon, like our, like Contact phenomenon. The way I'm seeing it happen with just hundreds of people out there that I'm running into. And it's not Star Trek. It hasn't been abduction. It's been more... I think the abyss might be a little more uh, the feel of it, really, because it's got this mystical, shamanic element to it. Like, the crop circles seem to be like that, too. Uh, My experience uh, started when I was... uh, Just to give a little bit of the story, I was uh, 30 years old, turning 30. I had just... um, Whew. I had just spent a year of my life trying to get George Bush not elected. And when he won the election, I, I just believed in political action at this point. When he got elected, I went through a dark night of the soul, and I was looking at the planetary situation with um, three species dying on average every hour due to mass species extinction. And I thought, my God, the only way to solve any of this is some type of Galileo-type paradigm shift, where we just see the world in a whole different way. And uh, you know that Chinese curse, may you get what you wish for? Uh, That happened to me on my 30th birthday. My girlfriend at the time, she called me up and she's like, you have been stressing about politics and paradigm shift for weeks. You need to take some MDMA and get your butt on the dance floor.
0: Oh, so listen, I'm almost 50 years old, uh, and MDMA, now you got, is that, is there like a, what is that?
1: It's really pure ecstasy. This is the stuff that, therapeutic grade, they used to use it as, you know, MDMA, our ecstasy started out as a uh, therapeutic drug to help people, and now it's actually being used with uh, Iraq war veterans to overcome post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, And very successfully, by the way.
0: Okay, I know someone who who uses uh, ecstasy every six months as a uh, treatment for uh, depression. She she self medicates and finds it's successful. So anyway, keep going.
1: Yeah, I think that can be successful, but you have to watch out for the the next day kind of hit people hard too if they're not careful and doing. There's all sorts of things you have to do to for the serotonin levels to stay up afterwards. People think I think they take like five HTP. I, I don't know the exact name of it. So anyway, MDMA is known to turn on people's third eye or sixth chakra, um, which I, I didn't even know what a chakra was back then—these energy centers in the body. And I took MDMA. I and my girlfriend at the time, you know, she said, "Take this and get your butt on the dance floor." I did that, and for the first time in months, I got out of my head. I got into my heart. And I just started connecting with this community around me, dancing. And there was this new energy, this other vibration of connectedness that was just searing through me. And these coincidences just started happening, one after the other after the other. You know, you would call these synchronicities. And by the end of the night, I was laying in bed thinking about this, and I felt this presence come to me. It felt like this very light, almost angelic presence. Uh, I didn't believe in presences back then, and it entered me for a second. When it left, everything changed in my life, because at that moment, I could suddenly see energy fields or auras around people, around things, the furniture in the room. I saw that our whole universe was not separate, that we are really energetic, energetic beings. And one word came to me when I started seeing these, and that was the word alien.
0: Yep, okay. I mean, I, I'm doing UFO research, and I have my own set of experiences. So what you're saying, I've only heard you know 10,000 times in one form or another. But um, right. so,
1: so keep going. Yeah, and so it was from that experience to doing ayahuasca ceremonies, which are, um, it's a shamanic plant from the Amazon, for those that don't know. It uh, has DMT in it. It's this active ingredient, um, which is found indigenous in the human body and in plant and animal life across the planet. Uh, there's this author, Doctor Rick Strassman, that hypothesizes um, that DMT can be found in the pituitary gland, and that mystical experiences release it at these certain times. So, yeah, I took DMT, and next thing you know, I'm laying on this ground and. I'm laying in a chicken coop, actually. This was where we had our sacred ceremony, was in the dilapidated chicken coop. Not recommended, really. And I'm looking up, and I feel this presence, this vast, hugely intelligent presence. And its I'm looking at the floorboards above me, or the wood boards of the ceiling, and suddenly the normal patterns in this start changing into this weird alien language that I felt like I knew from somewhere before. And this presence then took me on a past life journey, had told me I'd been in other planets and other lifetimes, uh, certain traumas I had had on this lifetime, and why I'd even been born to my mom to overcome some certain lifetimes of being uh, tortured in the past life, because to be honest, my mom was uh, she's a pretty violent mom to grow up with. And it seemed to be like really profound lessons of the cosmos that I was the soul lessons and, you know just six months before this I was a practicing pretty much atheist so it was very intense to have these experiences uh and it would just kept going from there from uh there's a place where I, I I almost wish you'd read, had read the book Mike because I think you would you would know you would know these scenes and you know there's a scene where I actually um I have experience with a, a reptilian creature
0: and and how is this physically you're having this experience or on a, like a sort of mental plane or psychic plane?
1: Well, uh, once again, altered states of consciousness they get us out of the matrix, you know, it's like the red pill and so when you take conscious altering substances, I think sometimes they can open you up to more illusion and you know, hallucinations but also they can open up vision and there was one very intense MDMA journey I went on where I felt these guides come in And my spirit guides basically were telling me that they were my galactic guides, too, that I had incarnated on other planets and here, you know, here was another round, essentially. And a a big theory I put forth in my book is this idea of if you believe in something like reincarnation or transmutation of souls, then... It's possible we've had experiences in many different lifetimes, many different planets. And just like we might be German, Jewish, Scottish, Irish, Kenyan, you know, Americans especially, we're such great mutts. We may be, you know, Pleiadian, Arcturian, Drago, Gray, like all sorts of things. And here we are for another ride. The message these galactic guides keep giving me is the universe is just so much weirder than we possibly could imagine.
0: And that is, um, not so much, I don't necessarily feel like I'm coming from a place of guides, but as I proceed forward in this research, you know, I'm getting the same lesson just from hearing people's experiences and then my own, uh, experiences. And my experiences would be that, um, I had had a few events in my life, sort of going back to when I was about 12 years old, uh, one or two of them at about that age. And then I, uh you know, about 2006, I realized like I had to look into this, you know, like I had been going through a phases where I would read channeled books and I had been going through uh, reading a lot of UFO research stuff. And I, and I recognized the pattern in my life implicated or implied, excuse me, like, you know, what I, I could look at it, my own life timeline, the, the implication would be that there was some sort of UFO abduction event or multiple events that had taken place. And that's a, that's a creepy freaking thing to have to, contemplate in your own life um, as soon as I said yes to looking into it the synchronicities that I was bombarded with were off the charts so in a way i am I'm taking synchronicities as a confirmation that there's something there and and i am at a loss to fully wrap my head around what the term UFO abduction might mean. I think it's far more mysterious and far more complicated than, you know, anthropomorphized versions of us, meaning doctors in a metal spaceship, you know, coming here to do experiments or collect data the same way that, uh, you know, biologists fly in a helicopter into Yellowstone National Park and collect data on grizzly bears. It was the synchronicities that, convinced me that there's something going on and it was the the synchronicities that have kept me proceeding forward on this path if it wasn't for the synchronicities i would have just said i'll look into this and then just figured out a way to to deny it or dismiss it or just to to blow it off and just live in you know that illusion of how to say it like a static three-dimensional world i no longer live in that uh, that illusion i i uh, it took a fair amount of uh, what do you call it, um, you know what I mean? It was it was super challenging at a lot of levels to watch my previous definition of reality just crumble before my eyes.
1: Oh, yeah, and you never know what level other people are at, too. Like, I start off, oh, energy, seeing energy fields, that's cool. So, my moment now where I'm at is in some pretty intense mediumship with different multidimensional beings. Ooh, ooh what do you for- mean
0: by mediumship? I mean, do you sit in a seance, or do you...
1: It's, um... Well, <laughs> let's get there for a second. Yeah, well, at the end of this book, The Electric Jesus, I mean, I'm having all these galactic experiences, but I'm not, it's a little wild west. You know, I'm, I'm doing this thing over here, I'm doing that. I eventually ended up joining um, an ayahuasca uh, tradition, a church called the Santo Daime Church. And the Santo Daime, it means the Holy Give Me. It comes from the Amazon. I think it's very celestial. Ayahuasca, it seems to be a little more earthy. The daime has more... It's like ayahuasca, but it's got more of these... uh, The branches, it's got more of the... Or the leaves... It's a combination of a leaf and a vine. So it's like earth and sky. Ayahuasca's got more of the earth element. The daime's got more of the sky, the more of the bush, the DMT, the visionary realms. And they're always... uh, you often hear about uh, people in daime experiences having some type of celestial or galactic experience. I'd like to say I don't just necessarily separate alien from angel from being because it's a little either or or other and it seems to me like this phenomenon is a little bit like fractals like what what is alien anyways like we we could be the aliens we, uh, we could already be these forms in a multi-dimensional realm energy mm-hmm. beings light beings that are here in this three-dimensional realm trying to um open it up, if you will, bring in more light, bring in higher frequencies, which I actually do think is happening across this planet. It's a very powerful awakening and illumination of the shadow. And a lot of my mediumship work is in these Daimeo ceremonies where they will literally, like... uh the way i see it is our world's a lot like the matrix there's a lot of dark beings that are holding us down um i don't necessarily see it as much anymore as like in, the, in my book the electric jesus i talk about like reptilian aliens and things like that and i think they are out there but from my work with the Diamond mean, it seems to be that there's just actually a lot of you know dark energies there's like lost souls there's demons there's there's these things that attach to us and they cause addictions they cause suffering they cause suicide all of these things and we don't know we're in a spiritual battle so what the dime does is it works on mediumship in actually illuminating dark beings because you know if you follow like biblical myth demons were actually just angels that turned you know they lost their light. they turned to the shadow and so the diamond works are actually, there's these illumination works where you become a medium for these lost beings through opening your heart in an act of compassion and love to bring them back to the light. And the great thing is, is as you heal these beings, you heal yourself, you heal your family lines, you heal things that have been troubling the, um, the family line for generations and generations, and so it's gone. So I see it, people's eating addictions, their anxiety, they go when the being goes. But, you know, modern science doesn't even recognize this as a possibility. And the mediumship is learning to let, the, let go of your ego, let these beings that are kind of scary to come in and express and talk and yell and scream and let it out, you know, heal. And then the guides come in and you learn to connect with your guides, actual spirit guides that will come in. Uh, the daime it's like rocket spiritual rocket fuel, so it makes it easier for them to come in, and they'll move your arms, and they'll clean these beings out and help them to the light. So that's a lot of the mediumship I'm working on these days.
0: And are you working with any sort of elder as, as a sort of guide, or are you in some sort of apprenticeship?
1: Um, yeah, well, all of us are that are doing these illumination works. The Daime is different than ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, you have like a shaman that he sings all the songs, he does the healings. Maybe you have an apprentice. Daime is like a grassroots I, I think of it as like an interdimensional grassroots activist organization of light. And so we're all kind of even. Yeah, there is someone that leads the ceremonies and there are some that specialize in it. I can't really talk about members in the Daime. That's that's not looked upon well uh because uh just because of legal issues and stuff like that. But we generally hold space for each other and you learn your own guidance through the medicine work, but we, we, we there is a structure, and there are people that have gone through. You know, they've illuminated. I have friends that have illuminated. You know, dozens of beings, so they know the process, and they'll share. They share what they know about it, and there seems to be a kind of a group sharing and knowledge that that goes through these processes.
0: This is fascinating. Um, yeah. So everything you've said, like I am coming from you know a place of uh oh what amounts to ufo research so the things that you're saying could easily with just a vocabulary word or two switched around um gets talked about in these other circles also and i mean you must be aware of that you know the how how these things are sort of dovetailed with each other oh sure there are um ufo researchers out there or ufo abduction researchers out there who will um you know, hear someone's story and someone will drop, you know, just a few little odd things that they've had in their life. And the, these individuals, and I've ran into them and, and, uh, and they've said it about me, uh, will like sort of nod knowingly. And they'll say, "Uh aha. So, you know, from what you've told me, you would, I'm assuming that you are a UFO abductee. And, um, you know, that's, that is a, that's a bold step, but I've actually found that I've been doing that lately, which I'm not, you know where where I feel like you know every third person I meet I kind of like scratch my head and like, oh my gosh are they a uFO abductee and um I feel like this is a like almost a flaw in my my role as a researcher or whatever you know this this sort of myopic ability to to be so hyper focused. Um, and, and I've been making a, you know, that's part of the reason I'm doing this interview is because I, I think that it's important to step back and then to look at the, what would be the larger meta phenomena that may be the umbrella set of experiences that, that are controlling all of this stuff.
1: I I mean, I just think it's so complex. We are talking about, I believe, a very complex series of beings, you know, even abduction phenomenon in this, just think of planet Earth and how people are kind of the same and totally different in different cultures. Italians are very different than Germans even. So how do we even come to terms with, like, there's greys that may be abducting and some that are actually nice and helping evolution of the planet and Palladians that are supposed to be very sprightly and Arturians that are musical. Like, it's, it, it seems like there's just so many contradictory things and it's mystical and for me, though, Mike, that's part of the joy, is it's a mystery. Just like the universe, the Santa Dime, it's a mystery school. The universe is a mystery school. To me, the crop circles are a mystery school. There's an unfolding, and I often get from people that are having experiences with what I call the galactic cavalry, you get things on a need-to-know basis. We don't get the whole picture because we would freak out, it's too much, it, You know, we wouldn't understand it. So we get the next step, and we get the next step. And it's just like you say, following the synchronicities. So for me, it seems like you've got a nice niche. You're following your synchronicities uh, down where, like, abduction stories and contactee stories like that goes. My experiences are not in that realm. And so what I'm finding more is it's more shamanic. Like someone will be doing mushrooms, and suddenly they'll see their face turn into a, a giant Syrian, and they'll have memories of being in Egypt. And they never believed in that before. And with my book out now, I get an email like this, you know, every couple of days of people that are having these type of experiences. So I kind of think it's almost like a good ambassador program we've got going on where, you know, more of the abductee experiences can be shared with what what I'm seeing is more of like a shamanic mystical. And, it, it, and what I'm seeing is the abductee experiences actually do have that component from what you're saying.
0: Yeah. It's um, the uh, here. So I just did an interview. Well, one of the recent interviews that I did was with a fellow named David Weatherly. And uh, he wrote a book called black eyed children, which is very spooky set of uh, stories about these uh, children with all black eyes that knock on people's doors and ask to be let in. And then people experience like, you know, unbelievably, profound terror and you know during the talk i asked him a question and what i'll do is i'm going to ask you the same question and um so do you and then i'll get back to the the comment about david weatherly so so do you run into people talking about owls much
1: well i mean i know the whole owl um gray uh scenario i i was even interested if you have if you've seen twin peaks there's a whole alien thing and owl thing that goes on in that in that series, um, I've seen even some really fun animations about the greys and the owls. and uh, There seems to be shape-shifting and a- therianthropes, which is a lot of Graham Hancock's work. Graham Hancock wrote the uh, um, opening for my book, and he he uh, often talks about ancient aliens and how the alien phenomenon and animal shape-shifting, and, and it's very shamanic, the whole thing. Uh, and it's one of the oldest oldest things you'll find in cave mate paintings across the planet, is human shape-shifting into animals. And you'll also see tons of UFOs and alien-looking figures and spaceships. Um, you know what I'd also love to get to at some point, I realize, is galactic influence in Christianity. There's there's a whole genre. I, I actually believe that Christ consciousness is an extremely galactic uh, realm, and the Gnostics were tapped into this
0: great i'm writing that down we can get back to that because that's something it's an interest of mine so um uh for reasons unknown uh since i started looking into this this is going back to about 2006 when i when i made the decision that i was going to look into these life experiences i have been at the receiving end of so many intense owl sightings uh owls coming in threes owls coming in fives owls crossing my path like right at the moment I was in a like a profound conversation and I told some of these stories so this fellow David Weatherly let me just jump back so he's an author that I interviewed and he was talking and he said you know I've been studying shamanism and you know he kind of dropped a little hint and said oh you know I've spoken with some Indian shamans here in North America and I've met with some Tibetan shamans and and he didn't really go much beyond that and then in the conversation he said oh in my um, youth I had uh a near-death experience. I was. I had a uh, high fever and a pneumonia, and I died and then, you know, had that experience and then came back to life. So I had a near-death experience. As soon as he said that, I was like, I thought to myself, this this alarm bell rang in my head, and I said, this guy is a shaman. And I asked him straight up, and I've, I've met this guy a bunch of times, and I've spent a lot of time in conversation with him. He's never come up before. But I, I, like, said, listen, David, are you a shaman? without skipping a beat he says yes I am so I tell him a couple owl stories this is all in the interview and then I said what do you make of the owl stories and that that's one of the questions I ask every single person who comes on the show is like what's up with the owls and <laughs> in his response was and it's the only time I've ever gotten it and he said it sounds like a shamanic initiation and, and I have th- that basically I don't need to a- ask the question anymore because he answered it that is the sense that I'm getting is that these uh you know, and I am quite convinced these aren't shape shifting aliens. I am quite convinced these are real birds, and I actually live in a place with a lot of owls so in in a way he he gave me the answer that I've been asking for what is it since you know this this is now 6 years since since those owl sightings have started to plague me so he gave me the answer that i've been waiting for and it had never crossed my mind that it that it was it could be summed up in in two words a shamanic initiation yeah
1: mm-hmm. i i think it's just such a shame we're not taught um we're not brought through rites of passage we're not taught how to clean the energy systems how to connect with our spirit guides, our spirit animals? This is the relearning that has to happen. It's part of the profound like disconnection that's killing our planet. It's killing our souls. It's you know disempowering the youth. Because like, how exciting is it to realize like, wow, I have a sacred connection with the owls. I, I have a very similar thing with eagles. Um, they've appeared in ayahuasca before ayahuasca ceremonies. I, I mentioned that in my book and. Especially, uh, I was really suffering from this uh, dark force entity that was, my whole next book is going to be about illuminating a demon that was in my stomach causing extreme suffering. And the path of letting it go and illuminating him was also the path of connecting with like these eagle guides um, that that are a symbol of kind of liberation. So I actually, having completed that, I'm going to get a tattoo (laughs) of uh, some eagle wing
0: you are also a Reiki master, is that right? Yeah. And yeah. what does that actually mean? I, I've met people who say that, and oftentimes I will say I will add that oftentimes the people who say that are uh, the people I've met anyway who say that are uh, very open with their UFO abduction experiences. But what does that mean, Reiki master?
1: All right, so let's let's jump in the Jesus energy healing galactic stuff because this is, this is I feel like this is the jumping off point is when I started seeing energy fields and understanding the universe was energy. I actually got fired by my from my day job, uh, because it was so distracting. And I like, I'm crazy. I'm going crazy. And then I saw this poster of Jesus and a halo around him. And I just thought to myself, Holy shit, halos really do exist. Maybe these early Christians knew something that I didn't. And I started studying early Christianity and learned that they knew all about energy, just like most mystical traditions do. Um you know, there's different words for it. They can call it prana, mana, ki, chi, ruah. Uh, the early uh, mystical Christians, the Gnostics, and gnosis means to know through direct experience. They would have called it pneuma, spiritual breath, spiritual energy. And the higher initiates were called pneumatics because they were full of spiritual energy. Uh, Baptisms seem to be done through this. They baptized with water and spirit, uh, our fire and spirit that sounds like energy jesus heals uh you know and it looks like reiki it's using the universal higher frequencies to heal people and we are great vessels we are electromagnetic beings we are light beings energetic beings that can channel this through and it heals people and i think jesus knew this very well It was a very clean vessel You know whether he's real or not. I don't get into that because that's not what I'm interested in. I hold the possibilities, but you know the lines are like the power will drain out of him and heal these people. The study of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. So I believe the Holy Spirit was this all pervasent universal force that they were using. In my book, uh, I get into a lot that I think Jesus. He came at this interesting time, the axial age. This is when there was Buddha, Lao Tzu, Confucius. And they were like these, I almost think like uh, cosmic avatars that were here with one very simple and complex energetic message. Treat thy neighbor or love thy neighbor as you would yourself. That's seeing the oneness in all. And it's also not just be nice to your neighbor. You have to learn to love yourself in order to do this relationship properly. And it's a heart-based frequency, which is a very high vibration And I think up until that point, there weren't necessarily a whole lot of people on the planet with a heart that really activated and opened their heart chakras. Uh, I actually think we're going through a, this is a little lofty, but going through this process, what I'm seeing is people are opening up their heart chakras. They're moving up the tree of the life of the body that we're kind of trapped in this third chakra right now in the solar plexus, which is masculine, it's willpower, it's achievement. It's it's the energetic reality of civilization, of planting seeds in the ground to seeing 14 billion years plus to the beginnings of the universe. But now we're moving into this heart center which opens up the gateway to spirit. It opens up the gateway to the heavens, to the galaxies, for spirit really to come into matter and for the guides to come in as well. And for a profound healing in galactic awakening to happen on this planet. And there's all sorts – Mike, are you still there? Oh, yeah. I'm
0: listening intently. Keep going.
1: Okay. And then, so, you know, I was actually wondering what does Jesus have to do with aliens because I was going through both of these. Just – if your listeners want to Google Jesus UFO, Jesus alien, they're going to see – image search. All sorts of medieval and renaissance images of uh, Jesus – well, Mary and the – what is that called?
0: Um, oh, the creative. Immaculate Conception when, when, when Archangel Gabriel comes to visit uh, Mary in a yeah. blue beam of light at the base of her bed, which sounds like, you know, you know, the first uh, words out of anyone's mouth when they describe their, their UFO abduction experience.
1: Yeah, and it's a moving star. It, the North Star does not move. This star is moving. Yeah, or Eastern star, whatever it is. It's a moving star that the wise men followed to this place. And then, so you'll find all these images of a UFO beaming in light. You'll find into Mary's womb. You'll find Jesus on the cross at the crucifixion to UFOs with people actually driving them on the right and the left. You'll find, um, the baptism with, uh, John, John baptizing.
0: Oh, that him. one. I know exactly the picture you're talking about where, you know, a, a, flying saucer craft shooting, like, laser beams down on, on Jesus, yeah.
1: Yeah, with, like, portholes. Yeah. It. I mean, it's just all over the place. So I think there is a certain um, galactic force that's come through the mystery schools and always has. When I'm in the Santa Daime, I will often see old Christian and Egyptian mystery school stuff merged with images of, like, giant, beautiful, sacred, geometrical mother ships. Uh, And, you know, I think the mystery schools and early Christians were probably also using plant medicines like we now do. The Santa Diamond is a Christian church with all sorts of Amazonian, like, nature spirits as well and light spirits and angels. Uh, In early uh, Christian images, you'll find Jesus with mushrooms all over the place, too. And there's a bunch of books out there about um, how they were probably using psilocybin and Terence McKenna has this whole thing of how mushrooms are actually like galactic um, intelligences uh, spread across the world because they are across galaxies because the spores can survive. Um, they can survive the harsh forces of, of space essentially.
0: Yes. And then, and then I guess Graham Hancock also talks about that in the book. Um, oh, I kept drawing a blank on the name now. Where like the the psychedelic experience was the dawning of our modern form of consciousness, where you know instead of just primitive apes, basically, we took the role of of uh you know creating art in beautiful cave paintings, and that seems to have happened universally at all times all places, all across our planet uh, where, where, you know, proto-humans existed, you know, once they started tripping on mushrooms, this this higher form of consciousness was then open to them and then they would, you know, produce art and ceremony and ritual.
1: Right. And that was uh, Supernatural. Yes, thank that you. Was, that book. And McKenna talks about that is in the form of language, us learning language through um, through mushrooms as well. And I I think this is the case. Like, right now, we're stuck. We're stuck in this rational, linear, death, apocalyptic paradigm of a culture, and there's no way out. The economy is tanking. Everything's tanking. Uh, Dennis McKenna considers these entheogens God-inducing plants, especially ayahuasca. I think, like me, he finds it a very, very special uh, entheogenic substance because it, it really can connect you with the spirit world and healing in a way that Pretty much nothing else I've ever encountered does. It, for me, it's, it's been the red pill for the Matrix. I know people that have been atheists. They've done mushrooms, they've done acid, and then they did they tried some ayahuasca, and next thing you know, they believe in a spiritual reality because it's direct experience. But, but Ter- Dennis McKenna, Terrence's brother, is saying that he thinks these antigens that the planet creates, like and ayahuasca, are their last-ditch effort for the planet to wake us up And come back into communion and back into connection with what's really around us. And this is what's happening in my life is with the daime, I'm awakening to really just the magic of nature and the magic of the universe and the people I witness in my life. I was kind of like under a spell or dead to it. And, you know, I think we have a lot of drugs that put us into those spells like like, um, uh, alcohol and television. Yeah, television. In television especially. And so a lot of, Graham talks in his book that a lot of experiences, and he had one, of seeing galactic stuff is through entheogens. And my whole book is about that. I mean, that's how I meet my guides. In one, they even put an implant in my arm so they could track me better. How do they do it? They do it through me opening up my consciousness. Uh, that's how they were ended up able to do like laser surgery, light surgery in my abdomen to help heal a lot of, a lot of pain I was holding from my childhood. So I almost feel like we're getting you were talking about Star Trek earlier. It's like this galactic intervention, but it's a relationship. We open up and they come to us.
0: Hey, um okay, so everything you're saying is is so interesting cuz you're coming from a different point of view than I am and and I'm agreeing with, you know, with the with the meta themes that everything you're saying. So so this is great. This is fascinating for me. You said do you have his, uh, uh, depression in your in your life? In your life history? Oh my.
1: Look, my for 36 years, I suffered from depression, anxiety, ang- bouts of anger, and especially suicidal thoughts. And I discovered this. I'm now 37. I discovered this when I was 33 uh, on mushrooms uh, at the Botanic Gardens. I was having a great day, and then suddenly I, I was in the bathroom where all your shadow stuff comes up. And I... I felt this entity, I felt this darkness, I felt this demon that was attached into my stomach where all my anxiety was. And also into the back of my heart, it was an astral, as we call an energy healing, it's an astral, parasitic astral attachment, that's what we would call it, that was sucking negative energy and really blocking off love, blocking out people, creating like an energetic prison around me. And I think these things are everywhere. And we don't know it. We, it's us. A lot of my healing practice now is just getting people to recognize it. Once they recognize it's not them, there's a component in them that triggers it and attracted it. And you know, they dig into these wounds. Then we can go to battle with love and illuminate these beings that are also suffering. But I, I think they're wreaking havoc on our planet right now. In the Daime, in the hymns, they just tell us this planet is riddled with these beings that you know they fell into darkness at some point and they just kept going and it just repeats the cycle of trauma and violence when i listened to the entity and what it was saying i was like my god i'm schizophrenic it's telling me to kill people to kill myself and it was a it was a hellish and then and then eventually a very beautiful process of releasing this being to the light i almost died i almost went crazy my whole next book is going to be about this
0: Huh, this is fascinating because this is something I talk about too, and this is something that shows up when I talk to uh, people. One of the questions I ask of UFO abductees is, um, you know, do you have any history of depression? And they, you know, almost always will say yes, I do. With so statistically, and, and I don't have any data. This is just anecdotal that the uh, the UFO abductee would have a higher rate of depression than the statistical norm. And also, I will I will add from my experiences that the creative type often goes hand in hand with the uh, oh, the depressive episodes. And the the people I've talked to who are oh. UFO abductees. And that's a word I don't like but I but I don't know any other you know vocabulary word to use that they are um they are also very much creative types. And I just want to ask you that, right? What do you do you have a creative side to you Do you write? Or I guess you obviously wrote a book. So. Dude, I
1: wrote a book called The Electric Jesus. Yeah.
0: Okay. yeah. So I answered my own question. Sorry about that. That was Hey, and let me just come clean here. Well, I obviously we're what are we like 40 oh, minutes yeah. into the interview here. I have uh, I apologize. Uh, I am doing the thing that I would make fun of other uh, uh, radio talk show hosts of doing. I have not read your book. And one of the reasons I, um, I mean, what was it just like? less than a week ago that I connected with you on, on email and said, hey, I want to an interview. and.
1: Yeah, it was really, it wasn't too long
0: ago. Yeah, so this has been, I've been sort of, you know, digging into some of your online stuff and your written stuff online as well as your um, audio interviews. So that's basically the introduction I got. And, and just hearing you talk, I was like, oh, this. I got to talk to this guy. So, well, so you,
1: Mike, I got to say that's a lot more research than uh, I'd say half the interviews. So. <laughs> I think we're in the modern <laughs> age of...
0: Of uh, you know, podcasting, which, which somehow relates to lazy. <laughs> I,
1: I, yeah, I have a theory that you don't have to necessarily read a full book to do a great interview if you do the research. But I want to jump into what you're saying, because I think it's really profound and something I'm very interested in, which is these creative types who uh, come from other realms. And I think that's ac- exactly the case. This is so much of my healing practice is people who are not grounded. I believe they've come from other planets, other dimensions. The dimensions are really important to mention in this because you can go very far without walking anywhere with a dimensional shift. Um, And I think this realm here is very dense. It's very difficult, a lot of dark entities. Uh, We are not connected to those power source of the universe to love to light to the reality of the universe the gnostics would say we're lost in illusion the buddhists would say we're lost in an illusion the daime the hindus so this is a this is like school of hard knocks and if you had been living in these other realms and suddenly you've incarnated here maybe to help bring that wisdom of those realms it's traumatic you're depressed it's difficult why can't i mass manifest things in, in like instantaneously the other one i get is why can't i levitate so many people i know they have these levitating dreams or flying dreams and it's like in the dream they remember how to do it but then they wake up and they're like oh shoot i can't levitate and, and one, think,
0: one thing that i get a lot is is people will tell will say that this that it's very heavy in this dimension and they feel dense and thick
1: yeah and so this is funny because, like, I went to Reiki. I went to bioenergetics school. And the bioenergetics helps out a lot with Reiki because Reiki, more than the Reiki, because a lot of my clients, they're like me. They're high vibrational. They're here. They're, they can't ground. And so they come to me and they're talking about past lives and auras and aliens. And, and I'm like, what did you eat for breakfast? We, You know, I, I'm trying to get them grounded so that they can be good mediums and uh, a lot of anger work because they're here to transmute energies of their family lines They're taking them on their head they're holding them down and so I, I it's not just light healing like fluffy bunny new age work this is like let's go into the shadow deep and transmute it and so that's what i'm seeing is a lot of these people they really it's a focus on grounding and like nurturing and, you know, finding a job that pays you and you can cover rent and these kind of things seem to be classic uh, kind of galactic clients that I would have.
0: Um, are you familiar with a fellow named uh, Michael Talbot? He wrote a book called The Holographic Universe. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, but i read parts of that years and years ago. Yeah,
0: okay. Well, just so so he's an interesting guy. He died – i think in the early 90s and uh, but but his life he had um uh, a near death experience he had a uh, grew up in a haunted house he um had psychic experiences he had um and i think he even had uh, like missing time experiences. So if I had said that to a UFO abduction researcher, that UFO abduction he would nod knowingly and go, Hmm, Michael Talbot was a was a UFO abductee. And then if I told that to a shaman, the shaman would kind of nod his head and say, hmm, okay, you know, Michael Talbot was a shaman. So there's this blending of these experiences, and I and I and I'm coming more and more to see the UFO abduction experiences one aspect of it, let's say, is a shamanic initiation.
1: Oh yeah, that was mine, and they did. They did end up in, in my book. I I do have UFO experiences eventually. Oh, can and, you just
0: give it just just a quick run, Give me a like a, a taste of what that what, what what happened.
1: I'd love to give you a couple, if that's cool. Sure, great, uh, great. Yeah, I mean, one was just me uh, having this experience of being called out at at the very end, I I actually almost die in this experience and stuff. I won't go into that where I'm just called out to meditate at this one place and look up at the sky right at one juncture. And I hear my guides actually talking to me and saying, here we are, here we are, look at us. And there are two, um, lights doing, you know, things that planes can't do. They're going up they're going sideways. They're going back down. They're going sideways. They're going up, back around. You know, these are acro- physical acrobatics that our aircraft can't do through uh, propulsion technology. And I knew, I knew, like those are UFOs. And I've seen many since then. But the weird thing is, the guy sitting next to me didn't see a thing.
0: And that is something I've heard many times, also.
1: And then the next year, we went to the same place, and he had all oh, where sorts Where was of... this
0: place, just out of curiosity?
1: Oh, it's where we hold the Reality Sandwich Retreats in Utah, and I think I think our theme that year was toward 2012, and then the following theme was Dimensional Shift. I think they took place in the fall.
0: And where in Utah?
1: Uh, Boulder, Utah. It's uh, southern Utah. Lots of UFO activity down there. Huh. And then he ended up seeing people shapeshift the next year. And I told him, I'm like, Michael, once you see one, I just gave away his name. Uh, once you see one, they come out of the woodwork. Do
0: wood you board. want me to edit
1: that out? No, it's good. Huh? He'll he'll like it. He he's kind of a reluctant galactic guy, like sure,
0: as 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 I am in a lot of ways. But keep going.
1: Yeah, and now he sees them all the time, and it's just like you, synchronicity at synchronicity. And now it's almost like par for the course. They'll give a call. Guess what? I'm in Puerto Rico, and I just met an alien. <laughs> It's like yeah, of course. Uh, so another experience would be at Burning Man. I feel like Burning Man is a galactic portal, if you will. And I, you know, it's funny on this talk on this show. I'm just saying how I think it is. I'm not, not giving the disclaimers that I would for most shows. Great, I think great. it's about, and,
0: and I and I you know I, I give the disclaimers a lot, and I think those are those are important. But you know, at the same time, they can you know I, I, so I understand. Keep going.
1: Yeah, so I think a Burning Man is in the chapter in my book is called the first extraterrestrial city on Earth. Um, And a friend of mine calls it that. This friend of mine, uh, first of all, I ran into Burning Man. I think is this because it's the first city that I know on the planet that's really fused science, um, tribal culture, art, like this neo-tribal ritual and art and science mathematics it all comes into play creativity spontaneous in this heart higher heart resonating vibration it's based on it's a gift economy it's not a consumerist capitalist economy that cuts energy and steals it and takes it. its parasitical this is one of abundance so it just creates more and more and more abundance uh, throughout for all its members and there's a real safety to be play to play to be creative to go through an initiatory process. And at the end of the week, they burn a 40-foot man, and then they burn a temple, and then it's gone, like a sand mandala. But for one week, it's an entire city with 50,000 people now. Um, And this fusion, and also it looks alien. At night, there's all these LED lights. There's just giant geodesic Buckminster Fuller domes. It just looks like Avatar. You know, It's like people that went to Avatar are like, wow, I miss Burning Man. (laughs) So, but I had a friend there who, I had had an alien experience there taking a little bit of mushrooms and my guides just beam down this light. Okay. So my guides come in uh, during this very magical, mystical moment. Uh, I've had this synchronicity with this one DJ, actually. They come in after just taking a little bit of mushrooms and I feel my spine align. I just get beamed. I I really do get Star Trek beamed. There's this purple there's this purple like tube of energy that goes down me. My my spine comes erect. My energy system comes in alignment, and I feel my guide just talking full on and showing me the evolutionary evolution of the planet from single cell to double, multiple cell to you know fish, you know humans or animals to humans, and why our spine is straight so we can energetically be receivers and transmitters of energy, very powerful cosmic energy. And at that point, my heart just opens. my heart chakra opens, I feel a something i ha, I just recognize immediately is very familiar, but I'd never experienced it before, and it was literally another dimension of reality I feel coming into my perspective and suddenly, I just saw this beautiful latticework of light running and flowing through everything that the universe really is love it really is. This magical force but it's also very scientific it's very structured you know it wasn't just like a hippy dippy love there there were fine science behind this thing and after that experience i walked across burning man and we ended up at, at this burn barrel you have these burn barrels at night that people hang out at and my girlfriend uh we run into two of her friends who have had galactic experiences and the female I call her Sarah in the book. I change names in the book. Sarah just looks at me and says, Johnny, every time I see you, my, my first name, Jonathan, Johnny, every time I see you, it brings out my shaman side. And she instantly shapeshifts into like a grayish, sexy grayish alien. She's a lot more friendly than you know some of the grays you see. But I literally saw her change form. And Don ends up, he just comes over, her boyfriend, her husband now, And just says to me, he just starts smiling. He's like, you're up there, aren't you? And I was just like, how do you know? He's like, "Ah, I've had experiences like this before. The first time Sarah and I went on a date at Burning Man, we took some mushrooms and she literally took off her human face, showed me her gray, uh, her alien face underneath. And I was like, wow, I had just seen that. You know, I did not offer that to Don. And then Don said, yeah, that same week, my consciousness was taken up to a spaceship. And he could literally see thousands of spaceships around the Earth beaming down indigo intentions of, like, positive light. And then there were a few ships that were beaming down negative intentions that he were told were some type of reptilian form. And then Don says, you know what, though? This idea we have of aliens, this, like, 1950s tinfoil space kind of thing, it's like, that's not on at all. They are, like... They've integrated art and science and fun and spirituality. They are like David Bowie, like art stars, androgynous healers. And a lot of them have really cool tattoos. He's like, it's like a whole carnival up there. And, you know, Burning Man's kind of like that carnival. So, you know, those, in my book, it's kind of strange. Those are the contact slash abductee experiences. It's a little bit different maybe than, you know, the Betty and, what is it, Betty and Barney Betty Hill, yep. Yeah. A little bit different than them. Although, you know, it sounds like that was a shamanic initiation for those two as well.
0: You know, whether the the actual phenomena is morphing to meet our needs or if there's a a grand agenda or a program that they put in place, they, whatever that might mean, um, and it's it's following this course – you know, I don't know, you know, and, and I, I hear these stories and I, you know, I hear such divergent stories sometimes, you know, some people will just tell of, you know, dark, dark, evil sounding experiences and other people will tell, of you know, mystical love and light experiences. You know, both these stories seem to be valid. Yeah, People telling them are, are telling it from a very, very uh, impassioned place. And then, um, you know, like I'm sort of, agnostic in the middle like i've as I stepped into this arena doing this kind of research um you know i've I've made a very strong effort not to be dragged or swayed one way to the other, like it's almost a flaw that I'm so uh you know middle of the road sometimes but um you know the way I see it is almost like there's a there's a set of uh, costumes that they uh that they don depending on the needs of the I was going to say the needs of the initiate, which is as good a term as any of the needs of the abductee, the needs of the contactee, the the needs of the society. Um, You you know, I think that the uh, like if we were in the jungles of Brazil and we were having these experiences, the 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 flavor or the outfit or the or the drama, the narrative that would unfold would be entirely different if, as opposed to the, uh, you know, like whatever, I'm, you know, whitey here in middle America, you know, then then what might occur to someone like me?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little both and, you know, because I think, I think that it is, it is for uh, the lens that we can perceive with. I also think we might be on some soul level partners in how it unfolds. That we have we have a power in in that shamanic opening. And I also think it just might be like UFOs. Kind of look like these discs or something. It, it's weird to see Pablo Amaringo, who's this ayahuasca artist from the Amazon. His spaceships are very funky looking. They have all sorts of cool colors, but they they look very similar to so the spaceships we, you know, hear about and read about and see about in movies and media. And, you know, Amarengo didn't have, like, any contact to that. He was living in the jungle. So I think it's, it's this great mystery. I, and I think, my your approach is a really healthy one, which is don't, don't attach to anything. Like, people sometimes will read my book and they're like, oh, okay, so you're Palladian. And there seems to be what my guide says, there's this whole cosmic rift in my family of, Part of us being Palladian and this, and the other part being more like a reptilian-based galactic l- lineage, and there's a healing going on. And people will write to me about like, "Wow, it must be so weird to be this race, and your mom is this." And I'm like, "Well, but I don't really hold that as fact. I hold it as possibility, just as I hold, you know, maybe Jesus was real, maybe Jesus was a cosmic figure, maybe myth, um, some of both. I don't know. I don't want to collapse the wave, the quantum physical wave, into one reality." Uh, Because that just seems limiting, in a way.
0: Yes, and and I agree, because I've heard everything from, like, we are the alien to, you know, there's a cosmic war for our souls, and there's, you know, like, I've heard all these things, and what I can say, my sense is that we are intertwined. With with this phenomena in a different way than the grizzly bear is intertwined with the uh, the biologist that lands in a helicopter and and does research on the grizzly bear in Yellowstone.
1: Seems that way to me.
0: Yeah. Hey, look—we've been at it for an hour and ten minutes. How are you holding up?
1: I'm good. I think uh, you know. There's one more thing I'd like to address uh, before we go here. Great. Which which is I feel like if we're talking about aliens, I'd like to talk about conspiracy stuff and focus on the dark Um, because the dark's out there you said it, there's light, there's dark everyone's having these different experiences Um, and what I feel through my work with Daime is I have a very profound training in when you deal with darkness love and firmness are the best ways to get through it and transmute because if you get caught in the other narratives reptilians are running the country or the world You know, the greys are abducting and doing these awful things. You get into that vibration that traps us in. And if you go to love, it it can still mean you, you create very good boundaries. You don't get caught in things. But love in this, like, Christ consciousness of, like, universally loving your brother and sister and going to forgiveness, it kind of frees you from getting trapped. Like, the worst thing I did with this negative entity that was in me was fight him. I mean, I had a fight. It's a war. It was a war, but it was a war of love. It wasn't a war of negativity of feeling like when I was feeling disempowered and like it had more power than me. And it was bad. It was very hard when I switched my narrative to like, all right, this is whether I want it or not. It's a cosmic lesson. I'm going to embrace this brother with love. And forgiveness. And I'm also going to stay firm in my love. I'm going to stay firm in light and higher vibrations. That's when he started to transcend and let go of his suffering. And, you know, because I, I do believe, like, no matter what beings these are, that there is some light of the divine through this, there is some cosmic source that's part of underneath all the different mass that we see in our in our universe. No. And so that's that's just one thing I kind of wanted to share because I often get like, because I actually see, I, I deal with shape-shifting lizards in my book. It happens to me. Like one shape shifts in front of me. It's like, how do you deal with those entities? Love and firmness, spiritual warriorship.
0: Yes, you know, I um read oh god, I was so immersed in in spiritual uh channeled books at one point in the in the uh late 90s, but I so I have no idea the source of this. But I remember reading in a book um where someone sort of postulated that at some point in the future, you know, scientists are going to invent microscopes strong enough to really look at the, the 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 atom and then they'll they'll be able to zoom right in on the actual building block of 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 our reality, and they're going to come to the realization that that building block is love. You know, the energy that it, it that holds all this together. You know, like I don't know whether that's true or not, but when I read that, I was like, well, that is whether that's true or not. That's a that is a nice way to look at the world. That is a nice way to frame your own reality, and that was very inspirational to me. Um, when people give me information uh you know you kind of sense when it's when it's right you know what i mean at a gut level right yeah yeah and there's a there's this wonderful woman her name is Cynthia Crawford and she's at pretty much every ufo conference and i that's part of the reason i love going to ufo conferences just so i can spend some time with this woman cynthia crawford and she even by the most far-out standards of, you know, the UFO lore, she is, like, way out on the end of that continuum. She is, she just radiates love. She says she's an alien-human hybrid. She's got a portal in her backyard. I mean, it's all, everything, and she's making these <laughs> statues of, of, you know, Arcturian warriors, And but uh, but she says, you know, like, that's she said, in essence, using a few different vocabulary words, exactly what you said, is that you can't fight these things in the framework of, of uh, you know, anger and defiance. You know, the, 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 the fight has to be with a form of universal love, with this Christ consciousness. You know, that sounds very simple saying it here. It's very, uh, you know, maybe it is simple, but, you know, it's challenging. Let me put it that way, to actually integrate something uh, so...
1: Simple so, and challenging. I think that makes a lot of sense. But
0: that. you know what I'm saying. Yeah,
1: I mean, look, can we have love for... You know, can you have a little love for Dick Cheney? I mean, it's a challenge. So, like, the, all these corporations that are just killing things. Can you have love and yet still firmness? You know, it's it's a real spiritual battle and
0: challenge. Yeah, right? oh, exactly. And it's a very simple statement. Just, you know, like, you know, tap into Christ consciousness or tap into love thy neighbor or, you know, do unto others. Yeah. So, um, great. One of the things I have on my list here that I wanted to talk about is uh, the Garden of Eden. Uh, that's... <laughs> Yeah. So if you've got time, we go for a little bit longer.
1: Okay. Let's make this the last question here because then I've got a chance. but Okay. Yeah. Good. What's your question about the Garden of Eden?
0: Uh, my question isn't really a question, but what's what happened to me uh, in that chapter of, uh, of in the late nineties when I was reading all these books, I just seem to read one, pick them up at random and every author, whether that be a channeled author, whether that be a, you know, someone, you know, working at a high level of, spiritual mastery or whether it was someone just sort of pragmatic talks about the metaphor the myth of the garden of eden and i will tell you every single person made a beautiful case and everyone was different it's such an open-ended myth you know and and it and it can be seen from so many different angles and each interpretation is just as profound as the other and i'm just curious where you're at with all this
1: uh, yeah, you know, and uh, the, there's even different uh, stories of that myth, too. Like, the Gnostics have a very different take than the Old Testament. And, you know, you you do find uh, that story in a lot of cultures. But I do think it's very unique in ways, because it takes place at a very interesting spot. It's at, it's in the Fertile Crescent. You know, we're at the Tigris and the Euphrates, this is a very key spot in world civilization, and you and have it is that a spot in- right
0: now that we are we are using our you know stealth bombers and our helicopter gunships to to control you know we I, as Americans.
1: And I, I'm not surprised because for me this is the traumatic rift of civilization. This is where, and it's right there in the Bible. It's it's in the Old Testament where you have this tribal model of humans living in harmony with nature like adam and eve and there's all sorts of lines about that and then there's this knowledge that's so traumatic it kicks us out of nature and it separates us and then we we get civilization essentially after that the next scene is cain and abel domesticating animals and working in the fields toiling struggling you know and we know how that all went Uh, You know, we have a first act, mythically speaking, of uh, Western violence, which, you know, the history of Western culture, I think, is violent, and many non-Western cultures, too. But that myth, to me, is it's a thought virus. It's a trauma that was implanted, either consciously or unconsciously, into the expansion of civilization. Because what you get from it is you get original sin, separation from God, you're not good enough. No matter what you do, God is not going to love you. You can't try hard enough. You can't do good enough. You're never going to be good enough for this figure. You get patriarchy. You get separation. You get ego. You you know. You get uh, masculine and feminine. You get the du- dual worlds come out of the garden, and that gets spread across the planet. And these this trauma I now see, it's just built. It's like uh, a you know, one Xerox copy that got worse and got worse and got worse, and those traumas have just um, gotten to such an extreme level that we see it in how our empires are made and the corporate structures, uh, the the derivatives—they're just so detached from nature and cyclical rhythms and all of these kind of things. And this is where I think uh, healing comes in. And but in another way, I also look at it. It's like. It's, a sep- it's that journey into separation, and now we've we pushed our way through the, the the chakras of the the fires of the sh- third chakra, which you know it, it destroys, but that power is what pushes you up into the heart center, And I feel like we're coming through separation and doing the hero's return back home, but with the knowledge that we've gained from going through a very difficult separation process. And maybe that's part of the alien stuff too, as we're coming back home in in many ways and like opening up to the galactic brothers and sisters out there, you know that I think it's very likely we are part of a, a interstellar intergalactic uh civilization and network um and wouldn't it be cool in many spaces to to meet those cultures and learn from them, especially the ones that have gone through an ascension process and understand the oneness of all.
0: That sounds like a great place to end this. I will uh, also say that one of the emails that I sent you was uh, just I was prodding you to read a single post that I wrote called the Evolutionary Triad, which uh, not so much, I mean, I... Not so much that I wrote it, which I obviously did, and it's very much comes from my, you know, my hand. But um, there was such a flurry of crazy synchronicities and like, uh, like inspirations that that came out of left field. And uh, within that essay, I do talk about uh, the garden and the references and the way I arrived there is kind of uh, surprised even me. But um, now I will say. Uh, I guess I can just say thank you so much for, for doing this. This was great. You are a, a bit of a uh, divergence from the from the core type of interviews that I have been doing. But I will say that, uh, you know, everything we've shared seems to dovetail so cleanly, in my opinion, with the ongoing research that I've done, as well as a lot of my own personal experiences. Nice.
1: Well, Mike, I'm really thankful that you, uh, you know, you're, you're reaching out and uh, taking a risk on this interview. I appreciate it.
0: Well, you're taking a risk, too, as far as, like, you know, you basically have been calling the, you know, the A word, the alien word. Um, and the I don't really, like, I'm not yeah. i am not comfortable with the word alien, because that sort of implies something. If you look up in uh, Webster's, uh, it means something else. It just means, like, something that is unknowable in a way that uh, is, is uh, challenging to understand, as opposed to, you know, a little person from another planet
1: yeah exactly exactly agree well i want to offer also um if anyone is interested in the electric jesus the book i wrote it's called the electric jesus the healing journey of a contemporary gnostic uh, if you pick up the book and you you say you just send me an email via facebook or um through the websites i help run the evolver network send me an email uh and just say you heard of it from the hit, from hidden experience I'll send a little twenty-five minute uh, chakra activation MP3 kind of meditation as a gift for supporting the work. Uh, but just make sure you, that you emailed me saying that you heard it through this program.
0: Huh. Okay. Great. That sounds awesome. And then, and then uh, here one final thing: uh, the on the cover of the book, it says the byline is Jonathan Talat Phillips, but presently you've been going by simply Talat.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, that's I'm just using that as like. i'm still keeping my general name but Talat is my sufi name and it means the rising sun and i'm sure there's plenty of people out there that could appreciate that had to go through a lot of darkness to find the light and you know that's definitely been my journey so it it seemed like uh, the appropriate name to be initiated with uh, i did not choose that name it was given to me but yeah
0: and yeah you didn't choose jonathan either so um
1: (laughs) that's true that's
0: a good point so good i uh thanks so much and uh and i would uh love to at some point down the road uh, do a follow up to this one uh after i've read the book and and keep the dialogue going
1: awesome thanks so much mike have okay. a great day
0: bye now.
2: Oh, oh, I leaned back on my radio, oh, oh, Some cat was laying down some rock and roll at a sunny set Then the loud sound it seemed to fight Came back like a slow voice on a wave On the TV, we may pick him up on Channel 2 Look out your window, I can see his light, light. If we can sparkle, he may land tonight light. Don't tell your papa or he'll get us locked up in time There's a star